Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Uh, let's give a hand or a, like a dolphin to our one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. They call me Ben. Noel, have you ever been stranded in the wild? No, nah, but I, I went to a dolphin show at an aquarium once. It's kind of the same oh. thing, right? I mean, it's. I think it's a little sadder, honestly. Uh, I've true. been to those shows, too. Dolphins are just... So intelligent. Uh, you've probably heard, folks, the story called Island of the Blue Dolphins. We're diving into uh, accidental pun, accidental wordplay. We're exploring. There are no accidental puns. <laughs> that was on. That was on. I was not all thinking right, of that consciously. Right. We are That's exploring, fair. rather, uh, the real life inspiration for that story and several other works of fiction. Are you referring to the Caldecott Award medal winning? Island of the Blue Dolphins by Scott Hodel. Yes, yeah. Island of the Blue Dolphins. Uh, Caldecott books always slap, in my opinion. In the book, Island of the Blue Dolphins, you'll see that Odell calls the main character Karana. Maybe interesting to any fans of that book to know that this is indeed based on a real place, a true story, and a real individual. We're talking about a place known as San Nicolas Island. It's it's a tricky name because it's actually uh, it's part of a larger thing, an archipelago of the Channel Islands off of the coast of California. And it's not like opulent island real estate. If you pull up a picture, it's, it's pretty barren, kind of windswept, so much so that Uncle Sam once upon a time thought, this is where we should test nuclear bombs. They didn't. I know. What's the deal with that? Why is the government always like looking at like beautiful, remote pieces of natural beauty to, to blow up? I don't understand why they why they need that. Cheaper parking, mainly, I think, uh, based yeah, on based it. on the uh, the DOD documents I've read. 
We're thankfully not talking about horrible mistakes perpetrated by the U.S. government today. We are talking about, in fact, a woman who lived uh, on a remote island by herself for many, many years and was discovered. But let's go back in history. Today we are talking about a uh, series of islands known as the Channel Islands. And um, they were, in fact, discovered in the 1500s by uh, Juan Rodriguez Cabrillo. Uh, but long before, you know, like a lot of these things, before they get, quote unquote, discovered, uh, there was already stuff going on there. People lived there. There's a whole culture that flourished there. The Nicalino tribe had lived there for 10,000 years before the Spanish uh, conqueror dude even set foot there. Of course, as is usually the case with uh, conquering people, eh, nobody even bothered to really ask any questions. Like, hey, what's your deal? How long have your people been here? Uh, it's mainly just about, let's, hey, let's go ahead and convert you to Catholicism. We can just convert you to Catholicism real quick. That'd be great. Please assimilate or we will murder you where you stand. Right. So the Spanish forces arriving in California at this time were primarily missionaries. On paper, that's what they were doing is converting people to Christianity. And the reality of life on the frontier for these folks is pretty brutal because they haven't been part of a community that's lived there for thousands of years. They're open to trading. They're open to learning, relatively speaking, for the time. And they don't ask a lot of questions. As we said, this all changed in 1811. Although they had traded with their neighbors in the islands for a long, long time, they didn't understand or they didn't anticipate, I think, a group of Russian fur traders who found the island and said, this is paradise for us. Look at all these seals. Look at all these sea otters. And because they were interested in these natural resources, these otters and these seals, the Russian forces attacked the Nicolino community and they assaulted women, they murdered men. All of this meant that the population, which had been about 300, dropped down to just a few dozen by 1814. With this, I want to shout out a great article on JSTOR called Stranded on the Island of the Blue Dolphins, the True Story of Juana Maria by Aaron Blakemore. Everyone wanted a piece of the action, you know, this whole sea otter situation. Uh, Spanish authorities decided to plant their flag and assert rights over the island. We know how this game goes, you know. It's all about possession is nine-tenths of the law and all of that. And there can, of course, be legal disputes that can come up in terms of, like, who conquered what first. Uh, but at this point, it's literally just like a, hey, this is ours. We say so. We're protecting it. We're defending it. Try to take it from us. We dare you. So they uh, actually arrested one of these Russian hunters, a guy named Boris Tazarov. But by this point, the badger was already out of the bag, uh, as, as Ben says, on stuff they don't want you to know. There were just a few Nicolino tribesmen left, but like they'd essentially all but killed off the sea otter population. So that left the folks that were remaining on the island particularly vulnerable. And the Catholic missionaries absolutely capitalized on that. Uh, all of these of the scarcity and, and the dangerous, tenuous situation that these folks found themselves in in order to kind of attract these folks to their mission system where then they were uh, forced into essentially unpaid labor right, and also right. forcibly converted to Catholicism. Right. Yeah. The idea was, look at this 
our mission is an area of stability and safety. We just need you to do what we say. And this was common in this era in history. Also, the Channel Islands overall were encountering problems like this. We know that various groups on the Channel Islands, which are about 53 miles off the modern-day California coast, these islands, these people were running into diseases they had never encountered before, technology they had never encountered before, and belligerent, hostile foreigners. And it's complicated here. There are a couple of things that are left up to interpretation even today. But we do know that by the early 1830s, with the entirety of the native population in that area in decline, and a lot of villages already abandoned, the authorities at the missions organized the removal of all remaining people from the entirety of the archipelago, the entirety of the Channel Islands, the very last island to be evacuated, San Nicolas. And that's kind of where our story begins, at least the mystery part of our story. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. They knew in 1835 
they being some Franciscan friars from Mission Santa Barbara, they knew that there was just a very small group, just a couple dozens or so, of Nicolenos on this island. So they sent a ship, a schooner called Pior Es Nada, a.k.a. Better Than Nothing, to San Nicolas. Uh, <laughs> That's and the spirit. Yeah, historians That's are divided. That's a little too spot on the nose. Right. Historians are still divided on whether this was like a well-intentioned rescue mission or whether it was a forced eviction. Like many things in history, I imagine there were multiple motivations. So... What happened next is indeed also the uh, subject of some debate. The captain of the uh, the Pure Esnada, uh, Charles Hubbard, had pretty good luck persuading the uh, the Nicolanios people who were left on the island to get on his ship to travel to Santa Barbara. But they realized that uh, a woman and a child who were part of their group um, were not on board. Other historians believe that uh, there was a woman that realized that her young son was still left on the island, kind of a home alone situation. She jumped off the boat and swam back to shore. Uh, Kevin! Yeah, totally, exactly. A few boats uh, did eventually return to the island to look for them, but they were never found. Mm -hmm. And this is when the rumors, the legends began. There were still, it was still an active fishery, even though the Russians had really done a number on the otter and seal population. Uh, there were, there were still a lot of fish to be had. So there was still a fishing industry and just not all the time, not super frequently, but every once in a while, fishermen would say, I saw someone running along the, the shore of that, that one weird island, that creepy island that no one lives on. Uh, and this is also, uh, beautifully depicted in L.A. Times' Great Read, with Island Dig Halted, Lone Woman, Still a Stinging Mystery, by Louis Sahogun. So, the thing about these sightings is that they all kind of matched. They all had commonalities. This person, this individual, was always described as a female in appearance, light-complexioned, somewhere between 20 to 30 years old. And the thing is, there's a lot of mist on the island because of its its location by the coast. So she would disappear into the mist and then reappear. And after those initial sightings, she was not seen again for 18 years. Love a good disappearing into the mist situation. So the Pieros Nada did intend to return when the mist cleared and the rough weather conditions improved. But the ship actually struck something when it was getting to San Francisco and it sank. There were efforts made later to send boats back to find the quote-unquote last Indian, but none of them ever succeeded. That is until, I guess, the hero of our story or a essential figure of our story, Captain Nidever, discovered her in 1853. Discovered. Right, because she knew where she was. Right, Right. that's what I'm saying. Like, nobody, she didn't ask to be rescued. Well, yeah, well, we'll we'll see. It's just I always bring this up when we talk about things like people whoosh, whoosh, discovering the extinct coelacanth. Anyway, there's a lot of stuff in common with cryptids and uh, stories of feral children here. You'll see what we're talking about, fellow ridiculous historians. So, yes, 1853, she is rescued, taken to the mainland. And immediately people are saying, look at this. We found a real life Robinson Crusoe, just like Tom Hanks 
in a later film, she's been living alone for a long time, and she had become pretty self-sufficient, especially considering there weren't a ton of resources on the island. You'll hear uh, depictions of her having fish. She lived on seals, wild ducks. She had made a house actually out of whale bones. She was living on seal fat, and she she had kind of a carefree attitude. She was singing songs. She was affable, amicable with people, but no one knew what she was singing because by the time she was discovered and taken back to civilization, no one understood her language at all. And one scholar of of the time, uh, mind you, wrote that apparently um, she actually told Nidaver when he came that her child was torn to pieces by the wild dogs with which the land is overrun. Mm-hmm. That's heavy. It Towards is. pieces. Yeah. And and there's there's another interesting thing that occurs, though, because honestly, it didn't seem like she let this get her down when she met the crew. If you've ever been to a reenactment village, she was doing something very much like that for the crew. She would have them follow around and watch her daily activities. She would sing them songs. She would show them the good hunting and fishing spots. They took to calling her better than nothing, which sounds mean until you remember they were basically naming her after that schooner. And they thought she was the bee's knees. They thought she was so cool. They loved hanging out with her. And she seemed to get the vibe as well. So when they headed back to Santa Barbara, she hopped on with them. And uh, Captain Mm -hmm. Nidever pretty much won her over. He wrote about this a lot, by the way, in his memoirs. We're doing our our damnedest to pronounce this guy's name right. I think we're going with the most obvious pronunciation, but what if it ends up being something like Nye Diver? You know, I, I don't know. Just or Nitty Vare. So, Nitty Vare, like Bonnie Vare. You know, like let, let the mean emails uh, fly. Actually, nobody really sends us mean emails, but um, tweet at us or something. Uh, Do you get the emails? Ridiculous History. No, I don't get any emails. We, I think we still have a dead email address, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. So uh, probably best for us. a long time. The best for us. Uh, but yeah, this this dude, uh, he, he wrote a memoir that was very uh, humbly entitled The Life and Adventures of George Nidiva. The rescue party was him, uh, a hunter named Charlie Brown, and according to his own account, an Irishman we called Colorado. <laughs> Sounds like a good time. It was because of his florid complexion. Uh, and then there were four, mm-hmm, sure was. Uh, and then there were four mission Indians. They docked on the island, or I guess, I don't know, they didn't really have a dock, I guess that we call that. You beached uh, in July, um, and they were planning for several months of, of hunting. But shortly after, they found what they described as an old woman stripping blubber from a piece of seal skin. And again, from his book, Nidiver was, uh, I guess, a little bit um, confused to see her reaction that she did not turn tail and run in terror. In fact, she smiled and gave a nice little bow and just started talking at them. Uh, I say at them because there was no understanding there. It was in this language they had no way of comprehending. Um, She's described as being of medium height, about 50 years old, but strong and clearly someone who's uh, very active with a very pleasant looking, you know, disposition, very, very nice smile, warm, always smiling, he described. And her clothing was uh, a single garment of skins that he rec- that he described. Also, I believe there were some feathers uh, in some of her other outfits. Pretty much homemade. And this is, this is where 
this is where our captain Nidiver has a an epiphany of sorts. He's picture him like the meme from A Beautiful Mind, where all the equations are going forth invisibly in front of his face, and he says, "Hold on, I remember what the Padres over at the mission were telling me. They said if we ran into some lost lady." Over on the island, then uh, we should bring her back. And so they kicked it with her again. They vibed hard. And about a month later, they did take her with them to Santa Barbara, to the mission. And this lady, who would later be called Juan Maria, or, you know, better than nothing, uh, she loved it. She is delighting in the sounds and the sensory experiences of civilization. She super, super gets into horses. She likes ox carts. Half She becomes like the town's first really big celebrity. People come to see her. The captain says, hey, you can stay at my place and my wife will like help kind of assimilate you into society and care for you. And the issue now right, is they want to figure out how to communicate more effectively. And they say, okay, we don't speak whatever language she is speaking, but we have a lot of native people who live in and around the mission. So they probably speak her tongue. This was a reasonable assumption, but it was one that would prove to be incorrect. No one at the mission could understand her. Also, the people who had traded with the Nicoleño in the past, the Chumash, they couldn't speak her language. And so the missionaries sent for some of people from the Tongva community in Santa Catalina Island, which is not just up the way from San Nicolas. And they also couldn't speak with her. So no one knew. No one knew what she was saying. I think they learned a couple of words maybe, but even that is unconfirmed. We talked about that forced labor from a lot of the um, the native folks that were uh, assimilated and, and brought into these missions. They were used to raise thousands of heads of cattle. It was a really prosperous farm, actually, this mission. So they were essentially helping enrich their kidnappers. <laughs> How's that for, uh, what's it called, Stockholm Syndrome? And in those subsequent years, during that period, Many, many of these people died there from harsh conditions. In 1841, six years after the Nicolinos were evacuated to this farm, the priests that ran the place recorded the deaths of 3,997 Chumash people. They referred to as neophytes or native workers. And this was likely due to another all too familiar trope in the stories of conquering people. Epidemics, diseases that uh, one people are immune to or have been exposed to and, and are, you know, are protected against. And another people have not seen it at all. And it just rips through them, you know, um, like the hand of death, essentially. And uh, that's what happened here. Epidemics swept through the mission's labor force like a plague. Mm-hmm. Um the, the mission's assets were eventually sold and liquidated in Santa Barbara. That's kind of what led to Santa Barbara, right? The city that we know today. It's a lovely, you know, beachside community. It was a very new, uh, very active young city that was also going to get a big boost from the gold rush uh, and had all kinds of people because of these beginnings. Yeah, and if you want to learn more about the role that disease played in European expansion into modern day North and South America, then I would highly recommend checking out Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond. It's not a perfect book, but it's a very interesting read. 
there's the place you should go for more information. And if you want to learn more about how diseases affect society in general, check out Norman Cantor's In the Wake of the Plague, which is about the Black Death through Europe and uh, through Asia. It's amazing. Anyhow, yes, yeah, this is a boomtown now. And it had to be a sensory overload situation for Juana Maria, for better than nothing. But she took it in stride and... It was almost like the way it's depicted in newspapers of the time, it sounds like the first act of Amelie or something. She's going around finding her favorite things. Shellfish, I love shellfish. Coffee, what's this? Ooh, liquor? I'll take any kind. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's another current of discourse here that that we have to mention. So people that interacted with her had started telling each other that she had reverted to a semi-wild or feral condition. And during this time in history, people were particularly fascinated with the idea of feral children. Uh, We have some episodes relating to this, like on language experiments and so on. This is also kind of in the nascent days of, of, you know, psychological experimentation and just the, the, the field of psychiatry and psychology. So there were a lot of very 
morally dubious experiments going on with like some of these, um, for example, feral mm -hmm. children or doing twin studies and stuff like that, you know? So it was kind of this wild west of, of, of enlightenment and all that, but usually at the cost of, uh, of, of your, you know, subjects. Yeah. And people had even, people had asked her to perform some of these songs that she loved so much. I mean, for decades alone on this Island, it was one of the ways she entertained herself and one was recorded, like written down, and even today, linguists aren't sure what language she spoke exactly. This has led some re researchers to claim that she was not Nicolino at all, that she was from a different community. If you want to learn more about that, then check out the journal The Lone Woman of San Nicolas Island, A New Hypothesis on Her Origin by Marla Daly that was uh, published in California History. So. People are trying to figure out what her language is. She is obviously not a threat. She's obviously a very nice person who loves new things and loves meeting people. But they want to figure out more about her. They want to know her mysterious provenance and her origin story. Right now, only four words that she uttered have been written down, uh, along with two songs that she allegedly sang. And... The words that they know is that she called a hide, like a pelt, a skin. She called it toka. She called uh, a male figure nache. The sky was toigua. And the body was, I, I may mispronounce this here, the body was pulche. Those are the four words they knew, but yeah. these were badly spelled. And this is fun. Um, they believe, or it is believed, that her songs are mostly made up of kind of nonsense syllables. Uh, this is a new word for me today. Voco vocables or vocables. Reminds me of the band, the Icelandic band Sigur Rós, who sort of invented their own language. Uh, it's called Hopelandic, I believe, is what they refer or to it as. So it's hmm? scat music. Uh, or I, sure, I, I like pronouncing exactly. vocables like lunchables. You know, there like you go. Little, I like that. I like that. Pack of Max, words, I saw you. Steve. I saw you raising your hand, sir. Oh no, I'm. I'm just. Uh, you guys can't hear it now, but I'm just thinking about all the uh, Sigur Ross esque music that's playing right now in the background, and it's transitioning between song and background. Oh, I nice. love it. Oh, that's nice. gonna be. Oh, I love. Way to go, Max. Can you put some scat in at the end? Yeah, I was listening to Scatman last <laughs> night, actually. You know, he's big in Japan. That's where he met the bulk of his commercial success, actually. That makes sense. So, cool. so what about, uh, who was the guy that Cotton Eye Joe? Remember that song? I bet he was big in Japan, too. We don't have to talk about that. We certainly don't think about that song. Do not think about that song. It will get stuck in your head for the rest of your life. Uh, mm. I caution you. But I, I, it was a slapping episode of Beavis and Butthead when they talk about the scat man. Anywho, um, mm -hmm. so we've got several names for this uh, this very mysterious individual at this point. We've got the lone woman of San Nicolas. We also refer to her as Karana. That's the character, I believe, in the book, uh, the, the kind of dramatization of this by Odell. Better than nothing, Juana Maria, uh, and the lone woman, of course. Yeah, and a rose by any other name, right? A rose is a rose is a rose and so on. So everybody pretty much across the board loved her. They were fascinated with her. She would go, leave the mission and go, you know, downtown. And she almost always received a gift from someone who just wanted to interact with her. And children loved her. Eventually, authorities did learn a little bit about her story, despite the language barrier, through the use of sign language. 
And they said, okay, this is verified. This really was the woman who was left behind during that evacuation in 1835. And she never did find the child she was looking for. That's what they concluded. But again, history, historical accounts differ. After just seven awesome weeks on the mainland, a little less than two months, she caught dysentery. She became ill and she passed away. She was buried in the cemetery at Mission Santa Barbara, and all of her personal possessions were given to the California Academy of Sciences, and they were destroyed in the San Francisco earthquake and fire of 1906. She was, because this was a Catholic mission, she was baptized on her deathbed, and that's where she got the name Juana Maria. You know, it's strange because the mystery continues today. The mystery almost got solved in 2015, but the U.S. Navy halted a long-running archaeological project that was trying to excavate this cave where she was believed to have spent part of her time. This was due to objections by members of the modern-day Native community. That's right. And it just seems to be sort of like a uh, an unfurling of mysteries, sort of like a uh, a gordita of mysteries or a cheesy gordita crunch of mysteries, you know, nestled inside of a chalupa of intrigue. Yeah. And, you know, obviously that tastes delicious for a researcher. So with this, we kind of, I think we wrap on the question of, of the archaeological project. You know, the statement from the representative of the modern day tribes, one Mark Macaro. Uh, he said, we're only trying to do what's right by our ancestors. We must ensure all applicable federal laws are followed in reference to this excavation. And honestly, I know it's a bummer for the people who spent their careers looking for it, but I can see where they're coming from. You know, the idea, like there was already so much damage done to the native culture by the arrival of the Europeans. I think it's completely reasonable to say, let's try to save and preserve what we have still. But what a mystery. That same push for preservation means there will probably be no way to ever know the full true story of the lone woman of San Nicolas Island. I think we run into this a lot on stuff they don't want you to know. For example, sometimes the mystery is better. You know, <laughs> leave a little something to the imagination. We don't have to know everything. We can explore and, and learn, but we don't always, we, are, we aren't always owed an answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this... You know, I, I know that a lot of people before the pandemic entertained the idea of being stuck alone on a deserted island. It's such a capital R romantic notion until, you know, the pandemic hit and they were maybe stuck alone in a house or an apartment. And they said, this is what I was thinking about. Wilson. Uh, but I do want to give a shout out. to the volleyball guy, right? Right. Yes. I do want to give a shout out to one more, uh, one more book, one of my absolute favorite books in the world. And this story kind of reminds me of it. It's called Atlas of Remote Islands. It's by Judith Shalansky. And God, it's so good. I got to stop talking about it on air. I'm going to go reread it. I send it to so many people. But that's our episode for today. We would love to hear your stories about mysterious islands, mysterious people on isolated islands. There are a lot out there, especially in the age of uh, seafaring exploration. 
And I recommend a uh, podcast and also radio show, but I believe it always exists in podcast form and goes back quite a long time uh, by the BBC called Desert Island Discs, where interesting artists and creative weirdos come on and talk about what their top five songs would be they would have to have with them on a desert island situation so uh really good insight into some creative people's minds and also good way to get turned on to some cool new music and if you want to see a movie that's hilariously bad and very very dated and very horny uh with a very young brooke shields check out the blue lagoon which is sort of like the adult version of this type of story and thanks, as always, to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Thanks to Casey Pegram. Thanks to uh, one of the people that I love dearly but would not like to be stuck on a desert island with, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. We wouldn't be able to get him to stop talking. He would just continue to quiz us pedantically until we had to fight him to the death. And nobody wants that. Let's keep this, uh, let's keep this nemesis relationship um, uh, copacetic, shall we? I've been thinking about First Blood a lot. I accidentally watched the, this is a weird way to say it. I accidentally watched, I guess, the newest Rambo, which was Last Blood. And I just kept going back to the first Rambo where he's like, they drew First Blood. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's Sorry. a really good uh, YouTube video <laughs> where it's like uh, the moments from lots of different big movies where they say the name of the movie and then they just have, they choose that moment to have the fake credits roll. So it'll be like, this is Jurassic Park. And then it'll just be credits, but with like a Limp Biscuit song. So I would check that out if you can too. Sorry, too many wrecks here at the end. It's a Friday. We're Don't we're watch drunk. The Last Rambo. Don't watch. No, That's and, not and, a recommendation. <laughs> I just need to get it out of my system. I'm also not and apologizing. don't watch The Blue Lagoon. Yeah, I'm saving sorry, folks not here. Sorry. Uh, but Definitely that's, don't watch the Blue Lagoon. That's Return to show. the Blue Lagoon is okay, and this is our show. Uh -huh. And we'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.